I love to hear the sound of creation, the wind and the rhythm of the rain. Oh, the thunder, it speaks of your power, but there's something in the sound of the saints. I've been washed in the roar of the ocean, found peace in the echoes of caves, and the trees of the field, they clap their hands. There's something in the sound of the saints. From the lips of those you sing, a redemption song will the sounds of all it cracks the sky
that washes over each of us. We praise you for the freedom that you give each of us in Christ. Help us to understand what that freedom means in our lives and how we live and how we treat one another and how we can be secure in knowing that who we are in you is enough. Touch our hearts today, Lord, especially now with your presence and your love. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Gracious Father, it is an awesome thing to think about your promises. To be able to say that we have trusted and we've tested you, we've tried you, and every single time, without exception, your promises are true. It's that foundation which we we live our lives for you. We come and worship and, and we read your word and we pray. That's why we pray now. 
Because we believe that the promise you've made to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers in the way that you know is best is indeed eternally true. And so, Father, we lay before you right now all of the burdens and the concerns that we bring today. Some of us are, are struggling with, with uh, grief and loss, maybe death, maybe the broken, a broken relationship, Maybe a job that has didn't, didn't come about. Lord, all of our grief, we, we bring to you and ask that you would give us the comforting sense of your presence. Some of us have concerns about, about our own and others' health issues. We pray for your healing grace in each circumstance. Father, some of us come today burdened about uh, getting things done before the, the semester ends. Some of us are, are overwhelmed about the future, what our next steps are going to be. Some of us are concerned about uh, a relationship that either we're in or we wish we would be in. We ask for your grace and your help to us see that your promises are indeed true, that you're at work when we sense it and when we don't. We believe that you're good. Father, some of us come today worried about our world, about our nation. We have good reason. Our nation is divided. Our world is a mess. Another terrorist attack this week more violence in this country and around the world. We think about our brothers and sisters, uh, particularly those in the, in the Middle East who, who are trying to live out their faith in, uh, in ways that are uh, respectful of the environment in which they live. We pray that you will give them wisdom and courage and grace. We pray, Father, for... Uh, the places of the world where there's so much turmoil and ask that you would bring peace. We think about refugees and the needs that they have in, all over the world, including our own country and just a few miles away in Buffalo. Father, we, we desire your spirit to be at work in this world, doing what you alone can do, working in your miraculous ways. And we declare that we trust you. Father, we thank you for the opportunities we have to bear witness of you. We think particularly of, of the uh, men's soccer team and the women's basketball team at the college as, as they prepare for these trips this summer. And we ask that you would, you would help them in, in all the logistics of fundraising and, and things, but also just preparing their own hearts to go in openness, and to go with the spirit ready to learn, to give, to serve. And may what they do have, have eternal effects on them and on others they touch. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for being present with us in our worship today. And in whatever place we find ourselves here, we might come and we feel very close to you. We might be here today feeling very distant from you. Help us to see you 
to know who you are and to be assured that you are who you say you are. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. This morning's scripture reading is from Colossians 2, 6 through 19. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins in the, in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is the word of the Lord. It's always so encouraging to see you as we gather for worship each week. And let's take a few moments to encourage each other. Share a word of encouragement, a word of peace, welcome as uh, we continue in worship. Hey Dave, how are you? Nice to see you. Hey Pat, how are you? Hey. See you, man. Hey Jane, how are you? I see you enjoyed the uh, performance. So I mentioned last week, about, I talked last week about uh, Michelangelo's 
famous uh, sculpture, the Pieta. This, uh, this image of, of Mary holding the lifeless body of, of Jesus, her son. This image has inspired people for centuries. In 1972, on Pentecost Sunday of that year, uh, a man jumped over the railing uh, surrounding this sculpture and took a hammer to it. He cried out, I am Jesus Christ, I am Jesus Christ. And he's hammering it. Before they could get to him, he'd hit the thing 15 times, smashing Mary's face and breaking off her nose, chipping an eyelash and severing her left arm at the elbow. And they they got him off. And the the church then commissioned the best artist they could find to restore it and repair it. It took them 10 months to do that. And in his book, Shaped by the Cross, Ken Geyer, who basically his book is reflections on things that he learned by by thinking and and studying this great sculpture. He says, you know, it it made him, when he read that story, he said it, it really was for him an image of the evil one, of Satan. Because Satan's desire is to destroy. Particularly anything of beauty, anything that God has created, anything that... God's creation has created. His goal is to destroy. And he'll do everything in his power to destroy us, to destroy God's creation, to use us in any way possible to bring about destruction and pain. And we all understand that. We live in a world of destruction and pain. He's done a pretty good job. We know it, we look around the world, we see evil everywhere. We see the effects of evil everywhere. We see the pain and and the burden and the struggle. We, We see people believing that violence is the answer to violence. That that greed and power mean that you can take advantage of the people who can do nothing to protect themselves. We see it all the time. But it's not just about stuff out there. We know it in here. Every one of us, every one of us has been the recipient of painful words. Every one of us has been the recipient of people turning on us, hurting us, damaging our psyche, creating a, a mindset that is fearful. We all know that far too well. But we also understand the effects of evil in not just what people do to us, but what we do to people. How we live. We know how often we're the cause of pain. We're the cause of the burden. It's our words that hurt that person. It's our actions that betrayed them. It's it's our need for recognition, our need for, for grasping things that tramples over people and destroys what God has created. Nobody has to convince us that evil is real. When Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, 
No one has to convince him either. No one has to convince the people of Colossae that, that evil is real, that sin is real. They know. And Paul writes to them and says, look, you've fallen into this trap again. I, I'm so amazed at how often Paul writes about the problem of legalism. Virtually every letter Paul writes, he addresses the problem of legalism because it is one of, the, it's, it's one of our human solutions to the struggles of life. Let's just make another rule. If we just make another rule, then we don't have to think. We don't, we don't have to, uh, we don't have to, to trust. We, we can just make another rule. And, and we just keep making more rules and more rules and more rules. And we make rules about the rules. We love it. It's, our, it's what we naturally gravitate toward. But the problem with this is, the problem with the rules is that they enslave us. We become slaves to the rules. How many times have you been in a circumstance where you're trying to get something done? You're trying to talk to someone and you're trying to convince someone in power to do what, it, what quite frankly, seems so simple to you. All you have to do is just do this. And what do they say to you? You know what? That's against the rules. And you're thinking to yourself, it may be against the rules, but it's common sense. Just do it. Right? And then stop and consider the times when you've been on the other side of the table and someone's trying to convince you and you're saying, but that's not the rule. We love this. And Paul says, but the rules are enslaving you. The rules are not the solution to evil, to sin, to all these problems that we live with and we've created. He says the solution is not the rule. But the solution is also not the opposite of that, which is do anything you want. We have absolutely no rules. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And I think what Jesus means is, the law as God gave it to Moses was not to enslave people, it was to set them free. It was to create boundaries so that they could live healthy lives, so they could understand who God is, and they could live their lives in a way that would draw them closer to God. But we tend to run to either extreme. And Paul says the answer is not either extreme. The answer to evil and sin is the cross. That's the solution. And so he says, beginning in verse 13, you were dead because of your sins. Because your sinful nature has not yet been cut away, then God made you alive with Christ. You were dead. Now you're alive through Christ. And he forgave you your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away. How? By nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. How does God... How does God deal with sin? How does God deal with evil? How does God deal with the evil one? The cross. Now let's be honest. The cross does not, does not look like triumph. It does not look like victory. It looks like defeat and loss. I mean, here is Jesus, the only perfect person to ever live. And what happens to him? He ends up on a cross. That looks like the opposite of triumph. But somehow Paul sees it differently. 
Paul talks about, he says, this is the triumph. This is the victory over all of the forces of evil, the cross. How is that possible? It's possible because the way to victory, the way to freedom, Christ sets us, we are set free. Because it is the principle of the kingdom of God. It is the core understanding of the kingdom of God that love defeats evil. It is love that defeats evil. It is love that overcomes sin. It is love that addresses the pains and the hurts of our lives and of this world. The problem for us is that most of the time, nobody tries that. What we tend to do is to say the answer to power is more power. The answer to violence is more violence. The answer to, to sin is to ignore it. The answer to evil is to just try to crush it. Or to run away from it. But Paul says, Jesus does none of that. Jesus steps right into the middle of evil. And he defeats it by his loving sacrifice. That's possible. That's, that's the truth. Because Jesus isn't forced to go to the cross. He doesn't go kicking and screaming to the cross. He willingly surrenders himself at the cross. There are theories, different theories of the atonement, of what Jesus does on the cross to... Uh, what, Jesus, what God does for us to reconcile us to him. And one of those theories that has been relatively popular through the ages is that God was, the, the reason the cross was necessary is because God was so angry with human beings that he, was, he could barely hold back his wrath. And so Jesus steps in between God and us and, and, he, and, he, and he appeases God's wrath so that now God can forgive us and love us. I, I struggle with that. It's almost as if that, that, that theory is saying, Jesus sort of snuck out of heaven, and, and the Father didn't know it. And so he came to earth and said, I'm going to step in here in between them, because I really don't want you, I don't want your wrath down on these people. That paints a really poor picture of who God is. Jesus doesn't step between us and God. Jesus steps between us and evil. Jesus, the nails aren't pounded into Jesus by, by God. The nails are pounded into Jesus by evil. Jesus doesn't go to the cross in order to appease God. This is the fullest expression of the nature of God. This is who God is. God is love. Jesus himself says, in the, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that Jesus came. It makes a difference how we view that. Because if we view, if we view the cross as, as, a, as, a, as a means of, of appeasing the wrath of God, trying to convince God to love us, we will spend our lives trying to convince God to love us. We'll, we'll do everything we can in order to, to impress God, in order to try to get God on our side. And we'll be all about the rules. 
all about trying to be good people, all about trying to convince God that we're better than we seem to be. And the problem with that is that we never get to the end of that. Because if you take that perspective, what you, the picture you have of God is this unpleasable taskmaster who is always upping the ante, always asking for more, never satisfied no matter what we do. It's that mindset that Paul is addressing here. And that's not, that's not freedom. That's not, being, that's not going from death to life. That's death. That's bondage. Jesus sets us free in the cross. Not because we're trying to impress God. That's not how. It's because, because we're responding to the love of God. His very nature. His character. He is love. We don't have to convince God to love us. We didn't try, we didn't talk God into the cross. This is God's idea from the foundation of the world. Because He wants to restore us, He wants to redeem us, and He wants to set us free. He wants to not just forgive our sins, He wants to set us free from the guilt and the power of sin in our lives and in this world. And the problem we have when we start talking about freedom is that most of us think of freedom in a, in a very self-centered kind of way. We, we think of freedom as, oh good, I don't have to have any rules. Now I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, to whomever I want, however I want. It's all about me. But the freedom of the cross is not, uh, is not just encouraging our self-centeredness. The freedom of the cross is that we are now free to be focused on Jesus. We live our lives in freedom. And to be free means that we don't have to control everything like we tend to want to do. We can let go. We don't have to control people. We don't have to try to control life and its circumstances, which, by the way, we cannot do. We, to be free is to let God work in people's lives any way He wants to, even if it's different than how He works in our lives. To be free means that we can give. We can give everything we have away because we know that God will supply our needs. We are free to serve rather than think about how we can convince people to serve us. We don't have to prove to people that we're valuable and worthwhile. In Christ, we know that we are. Trying to impress people, trying to prove to people that we're valuable and worthwhile, trying to accumulate things to make us feel secure, that's exhausting. That's not freedom, that's bondage. I often think about, about situations of people who have more money than anyone could ever imagine. And yet, are, are some people are convicted of stealing and, and taking things from people who have very little. And I think to myself, why would you do that? Why in the world, when you have more money than you could dream or imagine, never have any clue how, what you could do with it, what would make you want to take more from people who have very little? Because there's something in us that, that is in bondage to greed.
And we do the same thing with virtually every part of life. We want more. We want more. We want more because we're in bondage. And we think if we have a little bit more, we'll feel better about ourselves. If we have a little bit more of whatever we're looking for, if we have a, a bigger experience, if we, if we have a, a, another conquest, then we will feel better about ourselves and we'll feel like maybe now we're free. But all we do is just clamp the chains tighter and tighter and tighter. Paul says, if you want to know freedom, it's in the cross. It's in giving up your life, not saving. It's in serving, not trying to convince people to serve us. It's in giving, not in receiving. It's in wanting to be what God created us to be. Surrender to Him. I think it comes back to our view of God. I think everything comes back to our view of God. Paul is saying, this is who God is. This is not something God does that is out of character for him, but we needed it, so he does it. This is who God is. This is the nature of God. This is the God we see throughout all the ages. Everything the scripture tells us. This is the risk-taking God who loves so much that he surrenders himself. This is the God who has all the power in existence and he gives it up because he wants a relationship with us, because he wants to set us free. This is who God is. This is the triumph of the cross. This is how he defeats evil. When Jesus says on the cross, it's finished, it doesn't look like it's finished. He dies, put him in a tomb. Even after he rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, the world doesn't look all that much different than he did 30-some years before when he was born into this world. It doesn't look like it's finished. But it is. And the call of the gospel is to believe that it is. To believe that in the death of Christ, in this loving act of grace, evil has been defeated. We don't have to live in bondage to it anymore. Christ has defeated it. Not by exerting his power, not by doing great miracles, but by the loving surrender of his life. And the question that Paul poses for us here is if you believe all that's true, then live like it. Live like you believe it's true. Live like you believe Christ really has set you free. Live like you believe that Christ really has conquered evil and sin and all of the ways in which it comes at us. Live in freedom. Surrender. Love. Give. Serve. Let God work in people's lives 
as they do. Stop trying to control everything. Give it to God. Maybe one of the most profound things you can pray every morning when you get up is to say, Lord, I'm not in control of the world you are. You've conquered all the things that come at me. I want this day to be about you. And I surrender this day to you. I'm convinced if we pray that prayer every day, God will start answering it. So as you think about places where you work, maybe in your dorm room, in your classes, in your families, your homes, this church, wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing, live like God has set us free in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you you that you've set us free in Christ. We pray that you will give us grace to live in the freedom of Christ. The freedom to give ourselves away. To risk, to trust, to serve, to give, to love. To the presence of your Holy Spirit in us the work of Christ on the cross. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that it will be a clear, a clear message to us of what you've done for us in Christ. Help us to remember. Help us to engage. And as we eat and drink, fill our souls and our hearts with freedom in Christ we might live as people who truly are free. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention. It means to dip in. As you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here if you need those and cups. Just let me know as you come forward for those. I like to mention every time we we receive communion that this is open to all who desire to receive these gifts from Christ. 
Maybe it's the first time you've worshipped here. But this is an invitation to come and to receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. So hear that invitation. If the desire of your heart is to be set free in Christ and live in that freedom, you come and receive these gifts from our God who loves us.
Receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.